Welcome, everybody, to the Opened Eyes podcast. Today, I have Susan here again. I'm so thankful for Susan. Um, And I have her here to actually talk about um, the passing of her father. He passed away last week, right? Last week. Just over a week. And um, she just wants to talk today, and I want her to share just more about her father, about the things he went through in life, how he found the Lord, and how God walked with her family through um, this very difficult season. And so today, I'm mostly going to give the floor to Susan (laughs) to just share a little bit um, about her experience in this. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your dad? Okay. So my dad, um, when he passed, he was 76 and he had been, um, a middle school science teacher, bless his heart. Um, then taught, um, at a, a private school in front Royal, um, high school chemistry. So he was big into teaching and, um, kind of found his calling and his passion there. Um, He also was a man, as I was growing up, who um, throughout many seasons of his life did not fully walk with God. Um, He was a man who, um, through some choices, through some actions that he um, chose to partake in, caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain in our family, um, and a lot of betrayal. And I say this not to condemn my dad at all, because it just is such um, an honest truth and a vulnerability that I'm sharing that in reality, we all, all fall short of the glory of God. We all are in need of a savior. And um, when I think of my dad, I just, the, the story of his life is such a beautiful story of redemption. And that is the main thing that I just want to highlight um, as I share kind of his life story and how he came to know the Lord. And um, it's such a beautiful story because we all know through scripture that God can make beauty from ashes. And that is just one of the things that I love so much about the Lord. And I think back to seasons in my life um, and my dad's life, um, my childhood teenage years, even into early adulthood. And those would probably be considered the seasons of ash, the seasons where there was a lot of hurt, deep betrayal within our family. Um, A lot of pain was caused um, by my dad. And it took him decades to really come to terms with the fact that the things that he had done over the years had caused such a myriad of pain for not just for our family, but for other people. Um, I'll I'll save you the gory details of it all because um, I don't know if that really matters because I think we all have different things in our past that we have done or that others have done that cause hurt and pain and betrayal. Um, But he for a very long time, because of pride, did not want to admit that he had really done anything to cause hurt or pain, that he didn't really see anything wrong with what he'd done. That's just, you know, that that was in the past, so just don't worry about it, was a lot of what we heard. Um, and 
it's hard to walk through those seasons when you know someone is willingly and willfully repeatedly hurting you and your family. Um, so for a while, my relationship with my dad was pretty strained. It wasn't, he wasn't someone that I really looked up to or really admired and respected. Um, though he was admired and respected in the community, um, at home, it was a different story. I saw a different side to him than people in the public eye saw. And um, we all kind of tend to do that where we will put on our public face, but then behind closed doors, we have, there, there's a different, there's a different face that we, we sometimes have. Um, Would you say that because of that, it actually affected your relationship with the Lord at the beginning? Kind of what had been modeled as a father oh, figure? Yes. Definitely, because I, when I look back, I was longing for a father figure. I was longing for a father to lead me in righteousness, to show me good character, to show me how to behave. How do you respond if when someone, you know, speaks these things about you? How do you respond um, in a way that is God fearing? And I, I, I don't think that I had that growing up. Um, we did go to church. My dad was involved in the session at church. He was there every Sunday, but the fruits of his life did not point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that is what stuck with me is that I had a very, very hard time. Um, first of all, coming to know the Lord as a loving God without conditions, because growing up, I felt that my earthly father um, required certain things of me to earn his love. Like I, it, and it was all things, you know, that would look good in the public eye, good grades. If you were good at sports, all the better. Um, anything that you did to make him look better was then considered worthy of his love. And if you fell short of that, then it almost felt like that love was taken away. And so then to think about a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally that you don't, you don't have to earn his love and you can't earn his love. It took me a while to really um, get to the point where I could see myself as someone being unconditionally loved by a heavenly father, despite falling short and not having to constantly strive to like earn his favor or to achieve something that looked good so that he would love me. So yeah, it did. It did affect my relationship with, with the Lord. That reminds me too of the scripture that says we love because he first yes. loved us. And that just, that just does something to me when I think about that, because that is why we can love God because he mm -hmm. first in our mess, in mm -hmm. our brokenness, in our filth, in, in whatever, he loved us first. And that, that love is what allows us to turn and then love him, you know, in return. In return, even in our mess, even in all the things that we are doing that are disobedient and, um, and not in according to, to how he would have us live is one of the greatest ways that God shows his love for us. Um, and the other thing that I just really learned in this journey with my dad is um, the faithfulness of God, 
that when you think of the, the, um, the scripture that tells us that, that Jesus will lead the 99 to literally chase down the one that is lost. I really see my dad was the one that was lost and he didn't even know it. He didn't know for decades that he was lost in a, um, a web of sin and transgression and lies. Um, and God remained faithful to him because of that great love. He knew my dad was messing up. He knew he was falling short, but he still pursued him. And I say pursued him as he did not give up. He was relentless and in making my dad aware that, that he was loved by a heavenly father. And I don't know all of the ways, um, that God revealed himself to my dad over the years, because I know that God will plant seeds for us throughout our life in preparation for the time when our hearts are ready to receive him. Mm -hmm. And I know that God knew that my dad wasn't ready to receive him for a while, but yet he was still planting seeds. He was still showing up. He was still um, reminding my dad in, in ways that he cared. And um, I don't really know the exact moment when things took a turn or my dad's heart softened to the Lord where he was ready to receive it. But I do know that about seven years ago, um, when my dad was in his early seventies, he had retired from teaching. My mom was still working at the time. She also was a teacher. Um, he had a lot of days at home by himself. And in those times, we missed a lot of the early signs of his dementia um, because they were subtle. They were things that could easily kind of be justified or explained away. But by the end of 2016, things had become more apparent and um, he was finally diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. And if you're not familiar with that, it's um, a degenerative brain disorder that just slowly affects cognition. Um, there's some muscle impairments similar to Parkinson's disease. Um, it affects executive functioning and a lot of the daily things that he was able to do for himself over the years, he, as his disease progressed, he was not able to do. And there's no, there, was there no is cure. no cure. There is no, it's, it's just, um, there is no cure for that disease. And typically from the time of diagnosis, to the time of death, it's within five to eight years. So it's a lot shorter lifespan than some of the other dementias like Alzheimer's. And I would, I have to say from our experience, it's one of the most horrific dementias to have to manage, um, not only for the person who is suffering from it, but also for family and for caregivers, because there's so many ups and downs with the disease. Um, and, and I say that because one day my dad might be but might be functioning pretty normally. Like there, you probably wouldn't notice there was a whole lot, you know, going on with him. And then the next day he would be almost in a comatose state. Um, or he would be hallucinating about seeing people in the living room, um, that weren't there. And throughout the years of caring for him, um, it, it took a, a lot of, a lot of, um, mental focus to not be weighed down by the weight of that, that disease. But I say that I bring up the disease because I think it was one of those things that 
when you hear give God praise for all things and in all things, because you never know how God is using that thing to bring about good. And I have been so comforted by the scripture that God uses all things for the good of his children who love him according to the purposes to which they've been called. And I truly can see that God used Louis body dementia as a way to bring my father fully into salvation. It took honestly the breaking down of the pride, the breaking down of his ability to do things for himself, his ability to be able to even be aware of what day it was. And but yet then have some days that that he did know he did know so he knew yes that was a bad day this is a good day so yes. he was kind of going back and forth a yes bit. and so he knew enough that there was something major going on and that he was not going to get better mm -hmm. and when you are brought to your knees like that you have the choice to um reconcile fully with the lord while you're still in your right mind or not and I just feel like how, you know, it's so sad, but like you said, to give praise and all things, because ultimately if it's the salvation of his soul, then thank God. Then thank, for I it. thank God for it. But how many times do, is God, like you said, pursuing us, coming after mm -hmm. us, planting those seeds. Mm -hmm. And yet in our pride and in our self-righteousness, mm -hmm. we're not accepting. And so he's forced to... Yes. humble us to yeah. bring us to mm -hmm. our knees you know i've heard it said sometimes god will let you hit rock bottom so there's nowhere else to look but but up. him mm -hmm. and so that you know there is no one else but him who can do for you what you need to have done and um i'm thankful i, I am thankful for that disease as horrible as it is i'm thankful for it because it allowed my, all of those seeds over the years that the Lord had planted in my dad's heart to really tear down those walls of pride. And God gave me and my mom and, um, I have an older sister, Melanie and a younger brother, Rick. So in the, um, in the beginning stages of his dementia, he actually lived about three hours away with my mom and, when they realized he was going to need more care, he was going to need more um, medical support. They thankfully moved down to the Richmond area where about maybe five, 10 minutes from where I live so that I was able to be a, a big part of their lives. Um, the last several years, um, my sister also eventually moved, actually moved in with them um, about three years ago, two or three years ago, and has been a huge you know support there for them as well. So we are thankful that we were all together the, the last, not just in the final days, but in the, in the years, the final years of his life, mm -hmm. we were all together. And I think there was so much healing and so much um, restoration that was done in those years because I went over one day to sit with my dad because at that point in the disease progression, like he was still talking, he was still holding conversations, um, but he was not safe to leave alone. And my mom had to go like get her hair cut or something. So we'd she'd always have to schedule that when I was available to come over to just to sit with my dad. And he would get so mad because he was like, I don't need a babysitter. But 
he did need a babysitter. <laughs> he needed some money. <laughs> <laughs> but really it was great because it gave us um, just some, the gift of time and conversations mm -hmm. that I probably would not have had with him otherwise. And one of the days I was there, it was such a beautiful day, like, because he actually was um, very emotional. And this was a man who I, I mentioned earlier was not, he didn't want to say he was sorry about anything. He didn't want to have any kind of conversation unless it was joking around or talking about Redskins football or golf. He was just, I was always very kind of surface level, mm -hmm. like making quick banter, quick jokes, but nothing real deep and meaningful. And one day I was over there and I could just, he was crying and he's just like, Susan, I just have so much to say. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want to say? Like this is the perfect time. Um, and he actually had me get out a notebook wow. and write down some things, primarily to my mom, mm -hmm. um, but just some kind of reflections of things over the years that he had regrets about, or some of it was also good memories of like some beach trips and times that we had together. Um, and in that, what God showed me was even in those seasons that I considered the ash seasons, the ones that were difficult where I felt he was distant and I just didn't honestly enjoy him very much. Um, God's grace still was present in those mm -hmm. times. God was still there working and moving. And it showed me that things when my dad was talking about the good memories and the things he wanted to be reminded of, that those good memories were also still taking place right in the midst of that season of difficulty and hurt and pain. And so it just showed me even in those tough seasons, there is God's grace is there to give us moments of joy and um, connection and, and with others. So that was, um, that was really special to see that, but he just went through um, kind of sharing all of these memories. And it was a little bit difficult to piece together because of the dementia it would kind of jump from one track to the other. But I wrote down like furiously, whatever I could remember. And I think I had like three or four pages of stuff written by the time he was done sharing. But in that he just, I saw those walls that had been placed around his heart just absolutely crumble. They were, there was no pride there. It was all, um, repentance and regret and just, I just want to love my family. If I, if there's anything in this world that I could do, it would be to spend time with my family and to be with them and to go to church and to love God. And that's, he, he kept saying, that's all that I want. That's all that I want. It, Which is what I feel like most people who are aware of their, their death coming mm -hmm. feel. And it's so sad to me because no one knows no when their day when, <laughs> when their tickets being called and so no. so you know people who see death ahead it, it puts things in new mm -hmm. perspective and it does help you prioritize yes. and and really focus on what's important but what about people who are killed in a car accident right. or you know and they never had that time to say, yes. I'm sorry, or to repent, or to be grateful mm -hmm. and thankful and purposely spend time, you know, with family. It's the world that we live in is so 
fast paced and so all mm -hmm. about keeping up with the Joneses and yeah. all about what you have and working hard so you can enjoy it later, but there's no guarantee, no, there's no guarantee. for later. Mm -mm. No. And, and that was one of the things that, um, my mom and I reflected on a lot was like, he had the slow dying process mm -hmm. instead of something quick and sudden like a car accident or a heart attack. And, and for us, for our family, that was truly a gift from God because it, it was time for our family to heal, to get past the, like when I think about my dad from my growing up years, it's hard for me to really think back and remember him that way because God had given me this new creation in him that was kind and loving and caring and he and he loved the Lord and he was able to take the time. Uh, this was in the fall, less than six months before he passed away. And he, his brother was visiting from out of state. Um, and we were able to bring him home because he ended up in a memory care facility for the last, just about the last year of his life. And the only thing he really wanted was to come home, just wanted to keep coming home. And so any chance we, we could, we would bring him back and we were sitting around and he was talking about God. And I can just remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, who is this man that is just ha has this deep, deep reverence for the Lord. And he talked about how he talks to God every day and that God is so benevolent and kind. And that, um, one of the things my dad was so, so worried about with his disease was his family and what was going to happen to my mom and was she going to be okay? He was worried about her safety and what was going to happen to her and then his children. And he said he kept worrying and worrying until he finally said, God told me it was going to be okay. Wow. And so I don't know if that was an audible voice of the Lord, but the way that he told the story, it sure sounded like he heard the audible voice of the Lord. And he said to hear him just know that he was having conversations with God in this difficult season, but yet God was reassuring him and God was loving him and God was always kind whenever he talked to him. It didn't matter the things that my, my dad had done earlier mm -hmm. in his life because he came to God with a genuine heart of repentance. And the word says that God will remove our sins as far as the East is from the West mm -hmm. and thrown into that sea of forgetfulness. And so if God forgives and if God can let all of that go and look at you in a, through the eyes of love and compassion and forgiveness. And just, I, I feel like God was just rejoicing that moment. My dad gave his heart to him and fully repented of all of the things that he had done in his life. Um, it's never too late. It is never too late. My dad was in never his seventies. He was in his seventies. And, and we're never too far gone. No, There's nothing, no, nothing, nothing that can no. separate you from the love of God. No sin, no words, no acts, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it truly just takes a heart of repentance. That's it. A heart of saying, God, forgive me. Mm -hmm. And he washes it. It is that simple. All away. And you really saw that in your dad, right? I in the did. way that he, even the way he began to die, it, you could tell he yes. knew 
God. He knew he had been mm-hmm. forgiven. He did. He knew where he was mm-hmm. going because I really cannot think of anything scarier, to be honest with you, than mm-hmm. to be looking death in the eyes and be uncertain about where, where I was going to spend eternity. I know. Right? Because mm-hmm. this this life is but a vapor. You know, it is a short little split second mm-hmm. in the eyes of eternity. Mm-hmm. And so if you're dying and you don't know, I can't imagine how scary, to be honest, that would be. I think it would be absolutely terrifying because we spend so much time in this world just chasing after the things that we think are going to make us happy or the things that are going to bring us fulfillment or making more money or going on that vacation. But the truth is that not a single one of us knows when our time will be called. And there's to me, there's a sense of urgency in that. There is a sense of why would I put that to chance mm-hmm. of where I'm going to spend eternity? And to know that my dad is in the full presence of the Lord right now, his body is been made new, his soul, his soul, the person who he really is, is with the Lord and has been forgiven. And he is walking in glory right now in the full presence of Jesus. I am I like, I am so sad because I miss him, but I rejoice knowing that he is where he is. And so it brings me comfort. It brings my mom and my sister and brother comfort. And we know we'll see him again. We know, we'll, we know we will because we fully trust the promises of God mm-hmm. We fully trust that when we come to him with a heart of repentance and make him our Lord, that we will reign with him in eternity. And it does not matter what you have done in the past. It does not matter how old you are, how young you are. Um, I had this conversation with my my daughters who are, you know, obviously younger. I'm one in you know, college and high school, down to middle school. And I think there's this sense, even at their age, like, well. I have time. I have time. You know, it'll be, there'll be plenty of time for me to get things right with God. And as I was talking with my 20 year old, she's really also come to this sense of urgency of making sure she's, she is walking fully with God because, you know, we just don't know when our time is up. And, you know, she had some, some students at her university who were unexpectedly killed in a car accident. And just like that, at 19 years old, when you think you have all of this time in the world to get things right, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Right. And so, like you said, I don't want to be terrified Mm-mm. of, or even take the chance that I might not be spending eternity with Jesus. Right. I do not even want to think about what that would be like. And so, and just as a family member to have lost someone you yes. love. Again, like you said, you're sad, but to know that your father is standing in front of Jesus, fully known, fully known, fully known, flaws and all, Mm -hmm. but yet fully loved. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I want more for anybody in my life that I care about or love than that, than that, than that, you know? And so I think I had texted you after your dad, dad, like, you know, I'm so sad for you, but I am just overjoyed for your father because- What? I mean, there's nothing more that there's nothing this world can offer that holds a candle to that. Nope. And I, I know 
that the little pieces that I have experienced of being in the presence of God on this side of eternity are just don't even just a tail in comparison. They pale in comparison to what really, what truly. he is experiencing right now. And and I I think I texted Pastor Daphne after he had passed, and I my text was something along the lines of um, "All things have been made new. Mm-hmm. It is done. All things have been made new." It wasn't even that really. Yes, his earthly shell of a body has died. And to be honest, I'm sure he was glad to be free of that body right. because that body did fail him <laughs> at the end. Right. It did. As much as he, you know, we don't think that it will, it did fail him at the end. And, but now he has, he is a new creation. And that's why it says in the Bible that we do not mourn as the world mourns. No. As believers, mm-hmm. it's different because like you said, we're sad, but we have such peace I do. and really such joy mm-hmm. in knowing where our loved one has gone. So why don't you tell us a little bit, Susan, just about the last few days of your dad transitioning home to heaven and how, what that looked like as believers, as him being a believer and, and how you just, you know, how you saw God show up. Well, we did not know it was going to be, um, coming as quickly as it did. So for the last year I'd mentioned, he'd been in a memory care facility. Um, he had spent, um, a week in the hospital about a year ago after a really bad episode where he was basically unconscious for about two or three days, um, and ended up in, at the hospital, in the hospital for that, um, that then sent him to rehab for about three weeks, um, to regain like strength from, you know, being bedridden. And then he was, um, then we just had him go to a memory care facility because we realized at that point that his physical care, along with the other mental decline was just, it was too much for my mom. Um, and so over the course of this year, we have seen my dad have these like overwhelming ups and downs in his, um, physical like abilities to the point where, um, in June on father's day, he ended up in the hospital again, he'd fallen, um, and had a really bad gash on the back of his head and also then had a brain hemorrhage at the time, which the doctors did not think he was going to pull through from that. And, um, my prayer, my prayers throughout the, the year, um, up until the very end had always been Lord lay your healing hands upon my father's body, mind, and soul. So whatever healing he needs, whether it's physical healing, whether it's spiritual healing, whatever it is, heal him. And for many months, God did that in a way where I felt like he was giving my family this gift of time with my dad, like to the point where even doctors were like, oh, you know, this is really looking very bad. And he has, you know, just not very much time left. My mom and I would look at each other and say, no, he's going to, he's going to last longer than that. And he would, he would bounce back. And and it was just this literally like all of these small miracles throughout the year of him being in this position of being completely out of it and comatose to then being up and walking and feeding himself and, and talking with us again. Um, but then 
even my prayers started to change um, the last few months of his life um, because I um, had always been praying for healing, but then I felt God kind of impressing on my heart. There's more than one way for me to heal your father. You are looking at it from an earthly healing and there's another way that I can heal him. And as I started to watch his decline and I watched things slowly kind of being taken away from him that he used to love and enjoy, um, even interactions with family. I had mentioned before, like all he wanted was to be with his family, to come home, to be with family. There were many times for the end where my mom and I would go in to visit him and we got no interaction out of him because he was basically unconscious or he was in such a hallucinating state that he was like, he would like look past us or he would, his eyes were darting everywhere where he was seeing things that weren't there. And he then was slowly losing the ability to walk. And then eventually it was the ability to talk. And, um, God had given us, I think I had prayed, Lord, can you please give us through Christmas? Because at Thanksgiving, we did not have Thanksgiving together because I, we had family in town from California. My brother was in town who lives about three hours away. And my dad was bedridden the entire time. So we didn't have any of, we didn't have that memory of Thanksgiving with him. But then he did slowly start to get better. Um, not as, as well as he had been before that, but he would get better. And so I was like, Lord, can we have, can we please have Christmas together and have this time with one another? And because that was one of my dad's favorite holidays was, was Christmas. And God granted that wish for us, that prayer, I should say, not wish, but he, my dad came home for Christmas Eve. He was with us on Christmas day. He was talking, he was moving around, he was laughing. Um, and it was it was perfect. It was a great holiday with him. It was shortly after that, that he then slipped back in to that state that he was in, um, around Thanksgiving and, and had been in and out of throughout the past year. And mm, that is where my prayers changed from Lord heal him. Because the other thing that started to happen was he started to lose significant weight. I think he lost 20 pounds in six weeks. He was just like slowly deteriorating and, and things were getting much worse. And my prayer was, Lord, you know all of the ways that you are working in him, all of the ways that you are working through him. We're thankful for every single day that you give us with him, but I don't want my prayers to be selfish. I don't want to pray this prayer of Lord, keep him here, keep him here when he is not ready to be here anymore. When he is ready to, to be whole and new with you, why would I pray that prayer of don't take him when he has no real joy and quality of life on this side of eternity anymore? That's good. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you always I always have to remind myself anyway, when I'm praying the Lord, let me pray your will, yes. not mine. Yes. Because so often we get just 
going right into prayer, what we mm-hmm. think would be best when only God mm-hmm. knows, only mm-hmm. God knows. And, and so there's been several times in my life where I was getting ready to pray something and I just felt this kind of check in my spirit that mm-hmm. said, don't pray that, don't pray that. And so I just feel like, you know, what you're saying is right. But in every situation, we should be going to the father first about, you know, what is it that your you want will me to pray done. in this situation? Yeah, yes. your will, your will. And the, and I I had to have honest prayers with God because I even told God, God, I don't know what to pray right now. You know, you know how I'm feeling. You know that I love my dad. You know that I'm going to miss him. You know, I'm not ready for him to go. But at the same time, you know more than I do. And I want your will to be done. And when you're ready, Lord, just when you're ready to bring him home, just give us peace and let us know that it's time. And he was faithful to answer that prayer for me because my mom and I had been, I usually would go every, every Monday without fail. And then, you know, once or twice throughout the week to see my dad. And, um, he had been, as I had mentioned, um, right before his passing, like there's a slow decline, just waste kind of wasting away almost where he wasn't really eating our visits with him. You know, he wasn't really talking and interacting. Um, and the Monday, the Monday before he died, he died on a Wednesday night. Um, so literally like 48 hours before he passed. Um, my mom and sister and I were all together visiting him. Um, it worked out. My sister had the day off. So we were all together and he was, he was alert. I'll say he wasn't talking, but we would speak to him and he would look at us at each one of us. And, um, he ate, he loved treats and sweets and, my mom had brought some chocolate ice cream. He polished that off. He polished off yogurt. He polished off another uh, treat that he had had. Um, and so we had a really nice visit with him. And at, But after that visit, my mom and I were, we had pulled out this book from hospice that she'd been given about six or seven months before that explained the dying process. And we were kind of looking through that together. And we're like, you know, we really don't think that we have a whole lot of time left with him. Probably, we were thinking probably about a month to six weeks. And then we, we joked and we were like, well, we always, you know, we always had everybody tell us that it wasn't going to be this much time. And then he always rallied and came back stronger than what anybody ever anticipated. And so we kind of went through this book of like the different stages of the dying process. And we, and as we were reading through, I really felt like the Lord was illuminating our eyes to, it's not just a month. But the things that we had been seeing consistently within my dad were down to the the two to three week time frame and even the several day time frame. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that we both kind of had a little bit of a check like, OK, this is this is going to happen at some point in the very near future. And and for the longest time, it had always been something that's just going to happen down the road. The, that'll happen later. And. The, um, so the next day on that Tuesday, my mom went in to, to see him cause she was a, such a faithful wife. She was there every single day, unless she was literally in the hospital herself or she, we did kidnap her and made her go on a vacation for two days at one point. 
but she went to visit him on that Tuesday. He was just kind of sleepy, not really awake, not eating. So it wasn't really a very good visit for her, but you know, we've had those visits before. So that night was Valentine's day and, um, I was running my kids to practices and my mom called and she's like, Oh, I have some things for the girls. Can, you know, can you stop by and grab them? And I was like, sure. So I dropped off my youngest daughter, swung by my mom's house. And um, she was like, well, I, I really need to see them. I just really want to see the girls. She's like, I know I won't see them all, you know, at, at one time because they're busy doing things. But, you know, I really just would like to see them. And I was like, OK, well, why don't you come home with me? Because, you know, she lives about 10 minutes away. So she came home to my house to see the girls, gave them their Valentines and just was kind of sitting there watching this, watching a show. And I was like, well, mom, I'll just make you dinner and, you know, go back later. During that time, she got the phone call from hospice that my dad had taken a sudden turn for the worse. And I thank God because I know that was God's hand right there, not letting her be alone. Right. And she was, she had absolutely no intention of being at my house. Had I not been obedient to that voice in, of the Holy Spirit in, telling me to go to her house and then also telling her kind of being insistent on her coming to my house, she would have not been there. And because she was there, I was able to drive her along with one of my daughters um, right there to be with my dad. And so we, we got there around seven o'clock and sure enough, things were different. Mm -hmm. Things were so different just in the way his whole body looked and he was laying in bed and we were kind of looking at him and we had this remark like, wow, he looks really good for someone who was dying. Like he had color in his cheeks. His face was like restful and at peace. And he actually looked better than he did on sometimes we had been in there when he was just napping or kind of unconscious. And, um, but there were definite signs. The hospice kind of walked us through the definite signs that he was indeed in the active dying process. Um, in fact, they did not think he was going to make it more than about four hours. Um, my sister was in Baltimore on a work trip. My brother was three hours away and they all very much wanted to be there. Um, and God allowed that to happen too. So the whole process of my dad, my dad actively dying was beautiful because he was at peace and my family was there with him. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much of an awareness he had that we were there, but, um, hopefully he did. Hopefully he felt the love that we had for him and his literally his literal last breath on earth. Um, my sister was snuggling him in bed. She crawled in bed next to him. My mom was sitting there beside him. My brother and his son were there. I was not, but that was okay. I'd had to step out for just a few short hours. Um, and tell me about when you yeah. left because you knew <laughs> yes. the Lord kind of let you knew, know that yes. that was going to be the last time you saw him alive, right? He did. Yes, he did. Because I had, right before I left, and I had to, to, to leave just, I was only going to be gone for like two hours, but I, I just, the Lord just let me know. I was laying next to him, my dad, um, and he was just, you know, at peace, but his breathing had gotten shallow and just shallow. Um, and I've said my final goodbyes. I did some ugly crying on him, which he probably 
did not enjoy. But um, when I left, um, I knew I would not see, I knew he would be gone by then. And I was okay with that because I knew where he was going and I knew I didn't need to be there. My dad knew I loved him. My dad knew I'd been there for all of the, these other moments uh, with him. And um, so I'm driving home and literally it was a Jesus take the wheel moment. I don't know how I made it home other than the fact that I think the Holy Spirit drove me home because that time was actually so sacred. It was about a 20 minute drive. And it gave me the gift of grieving and grieving in a way where I was speaking only in tongues, which I don't, didn't think I would ever say that I would be speaking in tongues, but I could only speak in tongues. It was like, there were no English words that could adequately describe and express the combination of grief and sorrow, but yet joy and elation and gratitude for everything that was happening. It was just this weird feeling of being empty and full all at the same time. And so I just allowed the Holy Spirit to pray for me and through me. I And I was just praying in tongues. And then it got to the point where even praying in tongues was not, not enough. It was the, it says the Holy Spirit will pray in moans and in groans on our behalf. And that is how my prayers were as I was driving home. It was literally groans and moans of all of the things that I was feeling and experiencing. And, um, but at the deep heart of it, it was beautiful because God's hand was over my dad's life and I knew exactly where my dad was going. So it was grief and sadness for me, joy and elation for my father, this unbelievable heart of gratitude, like, God, you did it. You did not give up on him. You made it happen. You made all of this happen. And, I'm thankful for that time because if I had not been pulled away, I probably would have not had those moments of prayer that were really sacred times. It was really a sacred time for me to be able to express all of those things. And it's so funny to me. I'm sitting here thinking about how we always think of salvation as such a personal thing, right? It's, it's God saving you. But what a gift it is to your loved ones. Mm -hmm to know that you're saved, yes. to know that you're going on to a better place, to know that they will see you again. It's just, it, I, it's so really, good. it's normally such a personal thing. And it certainly is a personal mm -hmm. decision, but I just want everybody to know that, you know, that decision that you make in private has public consequences yes. it has consequences for your family for mm -hmm. your loved ones you know not just in from that point for being an example and and living a life surrendered and and pleasing to god but but just that they know that they have that peace of knowing where you're gonna go and that mm -hmm. they will see you again that it's not goodbye it's see, see you later, later. yes exactly i mean what a gift that that you can not only give yourself but your loved ones to to just know where you're gonna be mm -hmm. and that you're at peace and you're like we said fully known and fully loved and so i would just say right now to everybody who's listening if you don't know with absolute assurance 
assuredness, surety, whatever the word is. Absolute certainty. <laughs> certainty was the word I was looking for. If you don't know with absolute certainty where you're going when you die, please do not wait another minute. Stop what you're doing and say a prayer and just say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept what you did on the cross. I accept your precious blood to wash away my sins. I believe that you died on my behalf. I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. And from this point on, I want to live my life for you. And just have the faith to know that he will do that. It, it's not something that you're automatically going to have chills rush across your body or you're going to hear angels singing <laughs> or it's a prayer that you make in faith. Yes. Saying, I believe that if I give my life to you, if I come to you and ask you to forgive me of my sins, that you will do it and my life will never be the same. It's a prayer of faith. And mm -hmm. so I just implore you if you have not said that prayer if you have not made jesus christ your lord and your savior not just your savior of saving you from going to hell but your lord the person who leads you who guides you who helps you make decisions is the lord of your life if you have not made him your lord and savior then what are you doing do not <laughs> wait another day we just talked about you don't ever know when your yeah. last breath will be and so I just, I just pray that just like Susan's dad, who lived a life that was not, you know, pleasing to the Lord, that he hurt a lot of people, but in the end, the Lord turned the ashes to beauty. He redeemed, he redeemed. and he restored and her dad is now living in heaven, fully known and fully loved. Lots. And there is not a better gift in this world. Exactly.